Welcome to the See Me Now podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall. And we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Educational Leadership Coordinator, Mark Smaltz. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. So you have been um, next year, it'll be your 40th year in the education sphere. What is it like to be really focused on education for that many decades? And how has it evolved over time? What you're trying to say is I'm old. No way, uh, <laughs> not me. <laughs> I'm very fortunate that I'm still excited about what I do. So yeah, I started in 1984 and I've been in K-12 for 30 years and now at the university for the last 10. And I guess I'm just so fortunate because I still like what I do. And I know that so many careers, uh, to, if you, you stay that long, you, you're not enjoying those last years, but it's still a wonderful place to be. I think this field is really passion driven. You know, a lot of people go into different fields of study and career paths because of different reasons. But this one specifically, I think, is it, it's, it's a calling, if you will. I agree with that uh, for those that stay in it. Um, because there are certainly are low moments anytime uh, you're in education for this long. And the, is certainly the pandemic uh, created some low moments. But overall, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, I get to work with people every day that in, right now, people that want to become teachers, they have a lot of passion that they're bringing uh, to, the, to their pr new profession. So it's wonderful. I, I just, uh, I'm glad that I've been able to spend four decades in this work. So what made you decide to enter or get into the field of teaching? So we know obviously you love it and have stayed in it for, for so long, but what was it that made you go down this path? You know, I had a couple of family members, a sister and sister-in-law that are both teachers but I would say one of the big seeds, I had a great high school history teacher that set a high bar. Uh, he does not teach exactly how I teach, but he planted a seed that I want to be like this guy. And, uh, you know, he, he was making a difference every day with kids. And I, I loved to learn in his class. So that was very big for me that I thought, oh, I could see myself doing this. I love hearing that. And I'm as I think about you now being in the education field for this long, to know that that one person impacted your life so directly that it changed probably the trajectory of where you're going, and now you've impacted thousands of students' lives. So I, sh I think that's just a great example of how big of an impact our teachers can have through working with each student individually. Absolutely. Uh, of course, we don't make that impact with money <laughs> or in some other ways, but you bet when, we, you know, I always tell young teachers that their impact, uh, you don't see it always right away, but it's there and it's so rewarding. But absolutely, I look back to, the, to that one high school history teacher that had that impact for me. In this area, you'll hear the word pedagogy quite often. What's your take on, do you have your own, I guess, pedagogy? And yep. how do you teach yeah. which, which one to, for your students to go down? Well, uh, so for our students just coming into the field, I, I say let's break our path down into two parts. One is to, to learn that content. Let's say they want to become a math teacher. Well, I want them to know math inside and out, the content of math. But the pedagogy is the other half. It's the how-to. So you can be a genius 
in the field of mathematics, but you can't teach. Uh, you can do other things. So that's why uh, uh, it's so important to look at pedagogy, the how-to part of it, and to really find your own path. So what I tell our students is let's study different uh, types of pedagogy uh, because there's not one way. For instance, back to my favorite teacher, that one that had the impact, I don't teach. Uh, my pedagogy is different from his. That's okay. It's not saying that there's one right way. But I, I uh, believe in a constructivist approach where each of us, we're constructing our own uh, knowledge based on our background. And that's what's driven me throughout my life, knowing that all of my kids are taking away something a little different from this lesson based on their experiences. Would you say one of the experiences that helped shape you in the classroom is your time abroad, not only teaching in Guam, but I know you and your wife have traveled extensively. Do you think that's something that influences the way that you teach? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that. Back to that teacher in high school, he planted the seed to travel. I knew in ninth grade I would travel the world, <laughs> and I hadn't traveled the world at all, uh, but I knew I would because of him. And absolutely, when you start looking at... Uh, the rest of the world. It just opens up so many doors, Guam and Europe, and just, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to go uh, many wonderful places, and it's had an influence, and I can bring back those experiences to students. Um, so I, I've done that for, really, for 40 years. What would you say were some of the main differences that you saw while teaching abroad in Guam and then being back here in the United States? I always find it interesting to see kind of both the positives and the negatives compared for our um, school system compared to other countries. Well, you know, Guam is fascinating because uh, a third of, of my students were military dependents. Um, a third were, were locals, and a third were immigrants, mainly Filipino and, and whatnot. So it was a fascinating mix. Uh, but I would say what I remember most about that experience was that the, uh, and again, this is back in the 1980s, so a long time ago, but the older generation who really welcomed us and their grandkids were in our schools, uh, they valued education so much. They had been through the horrors of World War II, and uh, they had the scars, the literal scars to show it on their back, on their backs, and they loved our, the influence of Americans. Uh, and of course, they're a territory of America, but they loved that idea that we're here as teachers on the island of Guam and, and very much valued education. During COVID, of course, there was the controversy of, you know, do kids go to school or do they not go to school? And, you know, given that we're a couple years down the road, there's a lot of journals and research coming out about how students really do need that in-person uh, learning environment. What are your thoughts on that a classroom isn't just learning math and numbers, but so much of that mm -hmm. social skill? Oh, social I, skills. It, it absolutely is all of that. It's not, it's not only math. It's, it's everything that goes with it, much, much like you said. And I think COVID and just when we did shut down um, in 2020 for the rest of that year, and then even the following year, the impact it had is, I, I, it's going to be a long time, I think, before as a society we recover from that. I would say even at the university level, so I'm looking at my students, my intro students who are 18, 19, and so they were in high school, uh, 
And so COVID had an impact on on them. Uh, certainly our six, seven, eight-year-olds learning to read, it, it's, it's just not going to come back so quickly. So both academically and socially, I, I, I work with a lot of teachers working with teenagers and the behaviors, especially a year ago, were the hardest of their career. Uh, that's slowly coming back. You know, we're starting to... Uh, Societal, societal norms are coming back into play, but it's not a quick fix. And and I like I said, I even notice a difference in our college students uh, because of those critical years when they were in high school, it had that impact on them. So uh, there's no easy answer as how to fix it other than as much as we can be face-to-face, in-person, uh, that's the best way to teach, certainly in my opinion. And I think there's, I don't know, I'm, I'm like this myself, you know, my phone rings and I'm like, oh, just text me. I don't want to answer the phone. But I think we're seeing this next generation come up, right? And they're, you know, it's, it's hard for them to want to be direct and open and honest, I think, a lot of times. And so what we're trying to do here at CMU is really open up the doors to say, okay, conversations are, gonna, are going to be du- tough and difficult. Um, and for a teacher, I mean... They have very challenging jobs when it comes to, yeah, you know, dealing with kids that are going through hard things and just trying to teach kids to, to be kind Absolutely. to one another. Yep. That's what it comes down to. Uh, much like you said, we want kids to have challenging conversations at all ages, certainly at the university level. That's, it should be part of the, the curriculum, but how to do it with kindness or with uh, understanding that you might have a different opinion, but... Uh, I think we're in a time where, certainly during COVID, some people shut down. They didn't even have any conversation. <laughs> so to even bring that back to the table has been difficult. Uh, you see that in small work, small group work or partner work. Um, there seems to be a lag in the conversation. So, yeah, I'm really glad that we're trying to bring people together here at CMU and I think across the nation. Uh, we need more of that dialogue, that healthy dialogue. I want to take a minute to dig into a little bit more about the work you're doing here at CMU because I know you were obviously in the classroom um, in the K through 12 grades. You were a principal at Appleton Elementary, and then now we've been fortunate enough to have you here at CMU for 10 years. And so you're not only in the classroom with our freshmen and sophomores, but you're also teaching teachers who are coming back to get their master's degree. Can you talk to us about that dynamic of, you know, freshmen and sophomores versus veteran teachers and kind of that impact that you're having now at this higher education level? As I said before, I have the best job in the world. I get those 18 and 19-year-olds, and but I also have students that are in their 30s, 40s, 20s that want that those leadership opportunities. So some have been around for many years as a classroom teacher and believe their bigger impact can be as in a different form of leadership, such as becoming a principal. So uh, it's it's very exciting because you get to see both ends of that spectrum. And yet, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a, an elementary principal here in Grand Junction, so I have that experience. And people that teach in our program are all principals, or they were former principals. So. They, we really try to have that firsthand experience as they go through our leadership program. I think you and Kelsey were touching on 
this a little bit earlier about those challenges that teachers are now facing in the classroom that were probably different from five years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> what do you think is one of the biggest challenges that teachers are facing that we're hopefully helping to prepare them for, whether it's on the content side, the pedagogy side, dealing with social media and bullying and harassment? I'd just be curious to hear what you think is well, one of the biggest. Well, by far from my you know, from many years ago until today, it's social media. There, I don't think there's a close second uh, because, of course, we didn't have it when I started teaching. But even as it started coming around, uh, it wasn't used like it is today. And again, a lot of it is positive. I, I'm not trying to uh, be the guy that stay off my grass, stay off my lawn. I, 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 I believe in moving forward, but... Uh, we have a big problem with social media, without a doubt, and I would say that's the number one uh, f factor that's changed in our schools, that how uh, some use it in such a negative way, including parents, by the way, not just teenagers, not just our students, but uh, adults who can attack others. And so we have to figure out a way to lessen that evil, if you will, <laughs> and use it for positive purposes. I think that's what you guys are doing in the classroom, right? I mean, how to deal with these really hard issues and topics and how to handle bullying in today's world is really woven in the curriculum. Is that right? Yeah, it, it sure is. Uh, even uh, starting with our freshman and sophomore, we we uh, we have a segment on, on bullying and, and that continues because I think at any age, if you're my age, your age, uh, we've all had to deal with that in, in some aspect. And a, again, because of social media, it's a much different beast uh, than it was before because that can be taking place in the classroom without people knowing it, uh, without adults knowing it. So, yeah, we start dealing with that in their freshman year. What I love is that your name gets passed around quite often. Uh, you have been around for long enough and you've been in what was it, Mount Garfield, Lincoln Orchard, a principal at Appleton. And so you taught so many people in this community that I'm sure you're walking into the grocery store and you're seeing someone that you taught when they were in second grade and here they are 40 years old. Is that right? Absolutely. It's again, I would say that's the single biggest joy of my, my job. I've taught uh, well over 2000 people and many are really close friends. Uh, we have drinks together, dinner together. Uh, several work on the campus here at CMU, and then I or I see the younger ones when I was principal of Appleton that are now students here at CMU. That's just a joy. Uh, yeah, nearly every day I run into somebody <laughs> that that I know from those days. Again, you're saying you're you're old, Mark. I know what no. you're doing. <laughs> that is not uh, that's not where I'm going with this. But I'm proud of it. No, I, I'm. I'm proud every day that I've spent 40 years in the profession, and I know so many people. It's it's a gift. Well, I know that our students are, are grateful to have you. All of the students that you taught are grateful to have you. Um, and then I guess before we leave today, can you talk about all the work you're doing putting student teachers in classrooms? I mean, that is such an import, important, critical part of the, the teaching world is really getting that hands-on experience and, and how um, the, our relationship here at CMU is with the district and other districts around the region. Absolutely. So um, the path of becoming a teacher is vast. It's uh, 
there's so much to it, I think, that the general public doesn't realize. Again, they get grounded in a content area initially. So again, if they're a science teacher, <laughs> they're majoring in science. Uh, so they have all of that. But then we go into the pedagogy and uh, the how to teach. But that final element we think is the most important, and that's student teaching. That last semester where they're teaching full-time, but they have that mentor teacher that's guiding that practice for a full semester. So they get 600 hours of teaching experience that last semester that I don't think you can get that in any other um, format. You, you can't just go to a classroom and learn how to teach. You can plant some seeds. You can get ideas. We talked philosophy earlier. That's all important. But until you're with kids <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis doing the job, it just doesn't become real. So I think all of our student te teachers would say that semester is the most important. And we're lucky that we have great mentors uh, across Grand Junction in the Valley uh, that are that volunteer. That yes, I will take. I want to lead. I want to bring in that new generation of teachers. So it's a wonderful partnership. Plus, the principals get to see these student teachers in practice for real. So they many get hired while they're student teaching. I love that. I love to hear that always that relationship between CMU and our community and how strong it is and how impactful it is both ways. Not only are we hopefully positively impacting the local Grand Junction community, but they're impacting our students' lives. Um, and I wanted to touch base too on one other item before we let you go that, you know, you've impacted thousands of students here, but then you're also launching on a new adventure in Kenya. I was hoping you could just tell us a little bit about that and... Sure. This is go. really exciting. As you know, I kind of come to the closure of uh, one career in the next, you know, in the short term. Uh, uh, my wife and I and other colleagues in Grand Junction, we formed a nonprofit called Starfish International Grand Junction. And it's just a small group of us, six of us that are uh, been working with uh, a gentleman in uh, Mathari, which is a suburb of Nairobi. And they have a great need for schools. They have a half a million people in this community. And if you saw their schools, you, you wouldn't call them a school. Uh, and I'll send you pictures. <laughs> so um, it's basically non-existent. So our goal is to build a true, a K, <clears throat> excuse me, a K-8 two-round school uh, for those children of, of Mathari. And the land is nearly purchased so the walls will be going up soon. So in June, June 6th, we're leaving to go see the site of our school. We won't actually do the building. Again, the local people will do that. We're just doing the fundraising for that opportunity for kids. And, and it, by the way, this is a great point to bring back to our students here at CMU. We take it for granted, this beautiful campus. I think one of the best campuses in the entire country. And I think we take it for granted sometimes that we get to go to school here or have to go to school. It's really a privilege to be on a campus like this. So I, I certainly bring back uh, the pictures and stories of Nairobi and what those kids, they would give almost anything to have an experience like we have. So it's, it's a win-win. And eventually, we, we would hope to take some teachers to Nairobi, bring Ni their teachers here so we could have a true partnership. But yes, for now, we're, 
we're trying to build that school. So we hope in the next two to three years to have that up and running. That's incredible. Now, to combat all the old jokes, <laughs> real quick, you climbed over 2,000 mountains already, and you're, you're not done yet. Right. You know, uh, I th- again, Colorado, we don't pay our teachers well, but we get to live in Colorado. <laughs> so <laughs> I've taken advantage of that. And uh, yeah, I climbed the 14ers 30 years ago, and that's what everybody assumes is a peak, right? The 14ers, but we have so many more than that. So I've, yeah, I've been fortunate to climb uh, 13ers. There's 600 of those. I've climbed all of those. And, and then I've been fortunate just to climb throughout the United States and South America. And, and uh, now uh, while we're in Kenya, of course, we have to climb Mount Kenya. Just we have to do that. So, yeah, I think it's where I've, it's uh, kind of my, my uh, I would call it my spiritual home, I guess, if you will. Uh, mountaintops are just uh, breathtaking uh, from our little Mount Garfield here at Palisade to Mount Kenya. They all have their beauty. And so I'm always on a search to find the next most beautiful place. So, yeah, I'll be going to climb Mount Kenya. We look forward to seeing those pictures on top of <laughs> on top of the mountain. Thank you so so much for being here, Mark. Appreciate you and all you do. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the See Me Now podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.